Broadcast us live. There we go. Live. All right. Live. Live. I think this is our first live, live isn't it? It this is. Has, this is our first live. Yeah. First live here on the 3 a.m. Coney. I think we're smart enough to have figured it out before this, but we finally did. So That's um, fine. it's fine. It is what it is. But, you know, it's fine. We have to go live to talk about how amazing the Reds are doing. Have to do it in real time. Mm. Go ahead and retweet this here. Yeah, I'm actually going to go ahead and retweet it as well. There you go. I could watch myself. Talk about myself. I think oh. we're smart enough to figure oh, it out. Oh, now it's going to come through through the audio, Matt. <laughs> Inception. <laughs> I can't handle all that. All that noise. <laughs> we could do it. <laughs> I'll just open up five of them and have all of us talking. All right. After you retweet that, what do we have on the docket for today? Well, I think the biggest story in Cincinnati sports, Matt, is some of the Mike Hilton comments that put into perspective what we've been hearing and seeing online on Twitter. Hey, those Bengals players are probably on Twitter just as much as you and I are, so they see all those dumb Ravens fans and Chiefs fans and, yeah. and all these fan bases saying the Bengals are a fluke. And I think our question to start, Matt, is like, why are they being called a fluke? They did just play in the last game of the season. And had the damn lead with a minute 30 left. But, you know, they're being called a fluke, Matt. And, and that's where we're at right now. Yeah, and I mean, we talked about this. The Bengals were not one of the Super Bowl favorites no. for last season. Going into the season, I mean, we were we were feeling optimistic that they would be going, what, 10 and 7 type of record. Officially, I predicted 9 and 8. Nine officially and nine and eight okay that's what i predicted yeah and that that's that, that seemed pretty optimistic but i mean we knew that that within joe burrow comes back within those few years there he was going to bring a a, a playoff win to cincinnati the fact that he took us all the way to the super bowl is a completely other story but for for other teams to look at the Bengals, how they were an underdog, not expected to even really make the playoffs or finish in the top two of the AFC North, and then to come in and do what they did, it's I, I can see how they can call it a fluke. But the Bengals surprised the entire league, and now they're getting better. Yeah, I just I the reason I don't call it a fluke, it's a fluke in terms of the organization. It's a fluke because it was the Bengals. And I think Mike Hilton kind of said as much like, yeah, we get people are going to call it a fluke. This has been an organization that hadn't won a playoff game in 30 odd years. I, yeah. I've even forgotten the number, which I can't believe I just did that. The, I think it was <laughs> We're not in the stat anymore. It it's going to be the Lions matter. and like the Texans. They're like, <laughs> oh, there's the playoff drought. We're not even in the conversation anymore with the Bengals. No, the playoff drought doesn't matter. I don't even remember the stat and I don't even want to talk about it anymore. But that still hangs with the organization for a lot of people. So organizationally, I kind of understand why. But from like a statistical output and where this team actually sits historically with a quarterback that led the league in completion percentage and yards per attempt and an offense that was seventh in points per game, the only fluky part about it was that they made it there with, with that bad of an offensive line. But everything else yeah. – with the team, the elite quarterback play, elite wide receiver on the outside, it's matched Super Bowl profiles of recent teams. And especially if you look at their profile after week 11, once Joe Burrow really got rolling. I think when you look at that profile, it's even less of a fluke in terms of NFL history if you take the logo off the board. 
But the logo being on the board, Matt, is affecting the entire conversation. And I think it's really affecting where we should see the Bengals in terms of an ascension. It really felt like the 1991 Dallas Cowboys. We've talked about that. Cowboys team was 17th in defense, 7th in offense. They ascended to top five in each the next season and won back-to-back Super Bowls. They lost in the divisional round in 91. If you look at the 95 Packers, they went 11-5 and with Brett Favre. They add Reggie White, 96. They go 13-3, and win the Super Bowl. 97, they lose to the Broncos in the middle of Brett Favre's strongest run. I think that there's a lot of 2010. Look at the statistical similarities between the 2010 Packers and the 2021 Bengals. And then look what happened in 2011 statistically. Those are the best teams of all those guys' career. Best team of Troy Aikman's career, 1992. Best team of Brett Favre's career, 1996. And and I think the best team of Joe Burrow's career will be this 2022 Bengals. I really genuinely believe that. This will be the best team of Joe Burrow's career. And we think Joe Burrow is elite top five quarterback. And that usually means MVPs and Super Bowls. Yeah, I mean, if he can keep up that tear that he was on at the end of last season and the, the playoff run, absolutely. I agree with you 100%. And I think... For fans of other teams, it's easier to call the Bengals a fluke now before, like, if 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 in their minds, if the Bengals finish last in the AFC North this, this season, they can go, ha, I told you so. But for them, it's easier than looking at the Bengals as a legit contender because that is a completely different mindset for them, whereas for Browns fans, Steelers fans, Ravens fans, I mean, they've they've gone back and forth with the with the Ravens and and then somehow lost to the Browns, but the the tide is changing, and the fact that that the Bengals are now going to be favorited to win the AFC North and is going to be putting the smackdown on their teams, they're not ready for it. Yeah, but they're not even the favorites, Matt. Not in Vegas. They won't be the favorites in terms of now. They're not yet. Where were they at now? The Cleveland Browns are the current Vegas favorites. And before free agency, the Baltimore Mm. Ravens were the Vegas favorites in the AFC North, not the Cincinnati Bengals, which is just completely ignoring. (laughs) I just, we've seen this so many times with Joe. And we've seen this so many times. And we're going to talk more Joe Burrow later on this dumb Super Bowl stat that's been going around that we want to address. But I don't know why it's that crazy. I mean, Nick Wright, the biggest critique, the biggest critiquer or ignorer at this point now, the Cincinnati Bengals and Joe Burrow, he yeah. said before the playoffs began, if Joe Burrow wins the Super Bowl, they have the argument. He has the argument. He's the best quarterback in the league because all he's done at every level has been the best player at the position in whatever league he's in and led his team to unprecedented heights of winning. Well, he was goddamn three points away. He was three points away. So it's, I'm not going to sit here and say now we're not going to talk about all all the Super Bowl. I don't want to relive it right now. I don't don't think I'm ready, (laughs) but he was three points away. I'm not going to let three points change my opinion on a player's career trajectory. Two yards. But, you got to ask yourself this. Was it more punitive for Troy Aikman in his first playoff run to lose 38 to six to the Detroit lions in the divisional round? Or is it more punitive for Joe Burrow? Who's the same age as Troy Aikman was in that season to lose by three points in the super bowl. 
what's more punitive to a career? I mean, that's the question you really have to ask yourself. And I think that you would be absolutely insane to think that if Joe Burrow lost, I mean, if um, Troy Aikman would have, I mean, would have lost the Super Bowl in 91, that his career would have gone worse, which is basically right. what the argument everybody's making right now. But, you know, the draft is here and there hasn't been a lot of Joe Burrow talking. He hasn't talked himself. And it's really been a lot of focus on the draft, which I, which I do like, Matt. Yeah, I mean, we had a little bit of Joe Burrow news. It looks like he's still trending um, with the Bengals playing in New Orleans. There was talk that that game would potentially be no. overseas, but uh, across the pond. But yeah, no, well, that's going to be a big one. The Saints were like, one. hey, that's when we might make our most money all year. Like home opener and yeah, Joe, Joe Burrow absolutely. comes town. So That's got to be prime time, too. Uh, that'll be basically a home game for Saints. I hope it's prime time like week 10 and the Saints have completely botched the season and Dennis Allen's on the hot seat and that whole stadium is just LSU jerseys. And it's just, it's <laughs> just Joe and LSU uh, chase jerseys. Yeah, I know. And then uh, Honey Badger's playing for the Saints. So you've got more LSU connections all over the place. So that, that'll be there a ton of fun. But go. how about the draft, Matt? I mean, I have gave my draft grades out. I believe I gave a B plus, but I wanted to hear your opinion on the Cincinnati Bengals draft and just what you thought about it. Yeah, um, I think they did well. The middle of middle of the draft was a little iffy for me. Um, but, I mean, as I'm looking at some of the other teams and some of the kind of grasps that they had, um, some of them I didn't have in any of my mocks. But then I went when I looked back at some of their highlights, um, I, am, I am happy with, with all, all the moves that they made. Yeah, I think that what I mentioned on the show, which is on the YouTube page, you can find it. Um, it, it they nailed the culture thing again. And, yeah. and especially with the Jackson Carmen news coming out and then you realizing that they didn't really make a culture pick with Jackson Carmen. They made an athlete pick. They made an upside pick and it bit them right in the ass. I mean, you can make an argument that if Jackson Carmen comes in in shape for training camp, they win the Super Bowl. Right, that's how close they were. Jackson Carmen coming in out of shape probably cost the Bengals the Super Bowl. So that maturity, that lack of maturity, really cost them. And so they did that with all their picks this year, Matt. Older guys, mature guys, culture guys. Even if they sacrificed a little bit of talent, I think Zachary Carter, big-time culture fit, all-SEC community type of guy. Yeah. Like They pick one player from the athletic program of each school, all the athletic programs, and he was SEC all community Tyson Anderson out of Toledo does so much work for his home area in Toledo. He'll be able to do even more by staying in state and, and almost his entire team was at his draft party team. Captain cam Taylor Britt team captain Dax Hill, quiet, even balanced, super professional, despite being a top flight recruit and a guy who's been highly recruited his entire career. He's kept his head on straight. You've got all these culture fits up and down the board, and you're not even mentioning Cordell Volson, who is a multi-sport athlete, averaged 21 points, 15 rebounds in high school, right? Decided not to go to FBS and play for a national championship program in FCS, and he's got all those culture fits as well um, at the guard position. I think he brings professionalism into the room, and I think Tyson Anderson, Dax Hill, and Cam Taylor-Britt bring athleticism and professionalism into yeah. the secondary, which – you need for a team you're trying to juice up for a Super Bowl right now. You need guys to come in and be pros, pros. You don't need guys that need mentors. Now they'll need mentors, but you didn't need somebody like, man, we really need a veteran 
um, to take this player under under our, under their wing or, or else it won't work. And Jackson Carmen needed somebody to take him under his wing. And even then, it wasn't quick enough and he came in out of shape and, and it cost the Bengals severely at the guard position. Yeah, I mean, exactly. You can tell these are Zach Taylor's guys. This this is the vibe that they're going through to have that chemistry, that kind of <laughs> good kitty, that kind of that that unteachable quality where the athleticism, the the um, everything football field related Joe Burrow. This, this is what he wants. This is what we're doing on the other side of the ball. When when you have those guys that already have that that culture fit then they're able to come in and and fit with the rest of the team immediately, especially for a team that's trying to make another Super Bowl run this this season and next. Yeah, I think these are rookies that can contribute. I think that you've got some good prospects in Dax Hill. Now, I would rather... I'm excited for Dax Hill. Yeah, I am too. I think that he is this... He's exactly what you want a rookie to contribute. Because if you look at Super Bowl champions... Rookies normally aren't going to be major contributors on Super Bowl champions. Jamar Chase would have been very rare in that case to be such a significant contributor, such an important piece, and be a rookie on a Super Bowl team. That's normally not the case. So having a Dax Hill who's going to play 300 to 500 snaps in a nickel role or a three-safety role or a sub-package role, give guys spells and be this super hybrid athlete that makes plays adding guys like that is going to be really valuable to your ceiling as a football yeah. team. And I think the Bengals improved their ceiling in this draft. Did they improve their floor by grabbing a Tyler Linderbaum who is going to be a guaranteed plug and play 85 overall PFF grade center? No, but they improved their ceiling with this draft and they added pros pros. And I already thought their floor was pretty high. And that's why I think B plus is a B plus for you. Yeah. yeah. B plus. Where are you at officially on the grade? I'm about there. I'm, I mean, I'm B to start, but uh, if 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 they pan out, I mean, obviously Zach Zach Taylor wants these guys. Like they had them higher than than how PFF had them, or or even some of the other draft boards. So I mean, if if it's not a reach for them, if the, if these are the guys that fit, then we'll see that as the as the season goes on. And I, I yeah. trust, I, I can trust them at this point that they're getting the guys that fit the system. Well, I think that your two overdrafts, Zach Carter out of Florida. Yep. This guy had 17 sacks out of the three technique position in 24 games. It's pretty good production. So he's got production grade. He's got good athletic grades. He just maybe got put lower on certain boards than other guys would have had him. Same thing with Volson. He played every position on the offensive line while at North Dakota State, a program that already runs a pro-style zone running scheme. And we've seen a lot of really successful NFL players come out of recently. So I I really like the safety of those picks. And and they definitely went for sure things. They definitely definitely went for sure things. And guys they know are going to be at least good culture fits. And I think that they've got um, probably five guys, maybe six, I think maybe all six make the roster. Maybe Gunther does it on the back end. Um, it depends on Wyatt Hubert and the other pass rushers that are already on the roster. But you definitely have five that are going to make the roster and be contributors for this season. And I think that's uh, it's a good place to be. Great place to oh, be. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely need it on defense. Definitely need it on the offensive line. I am excited to see how the Bengals, how, how, how good they look riding off of last season. Yeah, and the Super Bowl, which I don't know if you've seen this stat, Matt, but I wanted to get into it. 
<laughs> it has to be dumb Super Bowl stat debunked. Well, it's not really debunked because it is a true stat. We're about to fucking debunk it. <laughs> We're about to say that this is a stupid ESPN stat. Yeah, or so whatever it is, CBS Sports. Here's the stat: uh, each of the last sixteen quarterbacks. So it's a true stat. I'm don't let don't get me wrong here. Each of the last sixteen quarterbacks to lose in their Super Bowl debut have never made it back to the big game, right? So there you see the list. It's Jimmy Garoppolo. It's Jared Goff. It's Matt yep. Ryan. It's Cam Newton. It's Colin Kaepernick. Rex Grossman. Rex Gro- Super Bowl great. Rex Grossman oh, don't has never been back. Rex Grossman is disgusting as a quarterback. <laughs> I mean, it was that was the most disgusting Super Bowl appearance <laughs> I've ever I've ever watched. Matt Hasselbeck is actually the 50th ranked quarterback on my quarterback spreadsheet. Um, yeah. Donovan McNabb, Jake DeLome, Rich Gannon won an MVP. Kerry Collins is much better than you than you remember. Steve McNair won an MVP. Oh, uh, Steve. Chris Chandler, that was that Falcons team that upset the 15 and one Minnesota Vikings with Randy Moss and Chris Carter and Dante Culpepper and all those guys um, in the NFC Championship game. Drew Bledsoe, we know his story. If Tom Brady doesn't come around, he might have made it back to a Super Bowl. In fact, he actually won an AFC Championship game after he lost his Super Bowl debut. And so I guess the reason he didn't make it back was because Tom Brady. So there's even a hole in the stat. Neil O'Donnell. You know, just good defenses on those Steelers teams. And then Stan Humphreys in that one season that the Chargers made and got their teeth kicked in. Yeah. This stat stops at 16 players, which is great, whatever. But if if you're going to determine NFL history on this, I think you're absolutely insane. Because if you go back to the next guy, it's Jim Kelly, who made four straight Super Bowls, right? And is one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. And actually, five of the top 21 quarterbacks on my quarterback spreadsheet, where I went through the points and everything, and I've tweeted about it before, and I'll be sharing more stuff about that as I continue to work on it and write about it. But five of the top 21 greatest quarterbacks of all time lost their Super Bowl debut. Fran Tarkinen lost his Super Bowl debut, made it back. Len Dawson lost his Super Bowl debut, made it back. Bob Greasy lost his Super Bowl debut, made it back. Jim Kelly lost his Super Bowl debut, made it back. John Elway lost his Super Bowl debut, made it back. All five of those guys are in the Hall of Fame. So you show me this list, and there's so many people. Pat McAfee ran this stat, right? Which Pat just likes getting reactions, so whatever. They show you this list and go, see, look at the trend. But if you just expand the trend, like five more players, you get five Hall of Famers. Matt Ryan, by the way, is going to be a borderline Hall of Famer. Jimmy G almost made it back to the Super Bowl last year. Almost, yeah. Right? Colin Kaepernick left the league for reasons that aren't necessarily football related. So you've got all these guys, and this list is not like the worst list to be on. And if you expand it, Five more players, it's five Hall of Famers and five of the 20 greatest quarterbacks that have ever played the game. So that's why that's what's that's what I want to debunk about this stat because it's it's just a reach. I mean, yeah, it's well, they have reach. your you have they have your little Drew Bledsoe asterisk here as the starter at the end. So oh yeah, well that's like, that's why he, who, that one is included. Drew, Drew was this close to being named the starter for that game. If you go back and look, Drew was this close to being named the starter against the Rams, and Tom Brady would have never started that Super Bowl, and his career would have never taken off. That's how close it was. Yeah. So, I mean, 
out of all these examples, like I just think it's really, if you want to go ahead and say that Joe Burrow's the next Dan Marino, a guy that made it this young with this statistical profile that never made it back. I mean, go ahead and say it, but that list right there, all 16 of those guys, none of those guys ever led the league in completion percentage and yards per attempt in the same year. Most of them never led the league in completion percentage or yards per attempt in a single year in their career. And Joe Burrow did that and is the only player to do that while being sacked more than 40 times. And he was sacked 52 times in the regular season, 70 times if you count the playoff run. Yeah, so, I mean, good good luck trying to categorize Joe Burrow with this list of players instead of the future Hall of Famers or some of the best quarterbacks, even though their team did terrible in their first year, or even though they they might not have gotten to the Super Bowl when they when they they should have. But I'm not betting against Joe Burrow. I I think a lot of times you can put a stat like this out there, and then you can have this be an old takes exposed type of oh Joe Burrow broke another another curse another record, and I mean it's just making it known that the the odds are stacked against him, and then for Joe Burrow to just go. All right, just yeah, another sure. game, just another season. See you in the Super Bowl. Yeah, and we also are coming out of an era where not a lot of guys made Super Bowl debuts, like, to be honest with you. Like, it's a lot of Tom Brady, Tom Brady, Tom Brady, Tom Brady, Ben Roethlisberger, yeah, Peyton Ben Manning, Roethlisberger. And, and, you know, it a rotation of defenses in the NFC. So <laughs> I think it's a, it's a ridiculous stat, and I, I'm just – I wanted to touch on it because it – Debunked. It doesn't include the five Hall of Famers who also lost their Super Bowl debut. So, unless the 1980s don't count all of a sudden, which is a weird thing. I mean, no one remembers them, but I think they still count. Wait, nobody remembers. That was, so 1981 to me is when real modern football began. All right. That's when you had your first decade of really generationally talented quarterbacks in yeah. Elway, Montana, and Marino, and Kelly came along, and Steve Young came. I mean, it would that was when modern football really began. And so that entire decade is filled with guys who lost their Super Bowl debut and then had a Hall of Fame career and made it back not just once, multiple times. Most oh, poor, of poor Dan Marino. I, my, my dad is a Browns fan, first and foremost, but he is also a Dolphins fan. I'm guessing because of the the success that they had in Dan Marino and the perfect season. Um and so every time that a, a team now is going to like 8-0, 9-0, 10-0, he'll send me texts and just be like, uh-oh, uh-oh, the, <laughs> the Dolphins record, the perfect season. And then he'll he'll be super happy every time they lose and they go like the 12-1 and one type of thing. But yeah, absurd to be a Dolphins fan now and a Browns fan. But apparently, Browns fans, this is your, your season again. Yeah. I mean, they're, I think this is the one, this is it. They're a bigger threat than they were last year. I, I definitely agree with that in terms of the Cleveland Browns, but they're always trying to jump the gun. Aren't they always trying to jump the gun? The Cleveland Browns are because they're, they're the, they're the organization that's allowed. They're allowed to have irrational hope. The Bengals weren't allowed to do that last year. And in fact, it was much more rational than any, any hope that we've had in a long time, but I predict nine and eight and the goddamn world falls apart. Oh my God, <laughs> nine and eight. You're going to 
You're going to have them finish ahead of the Browns and the Ravens? You out of your mind? Like, what do you mean? A team that was 2-7-1 and one with a 21-point lead on a playoff team and, and uh, uh, two game-winning drives against the Browns, another playoff team, a win with Ryan Finley at quarterback against another playoff team. and the, Like, it wasn't that crazy for us to predict that the Bengals improved. Well, but we were right, called Finley. crazy. Because the Bengals aren't lovable losers. The Browns get to be the lovable losers. The Browns get to be the people that make all the predictions and have these lovable loser attitudes and all these things and, and not the Bengals, but that's like a jealousy thing. That's like inside my, uh, unfortunately inside my soul. I think it is. <laughs> that's is right. That, it creeps out sometimes. I mean, this yeah. is, this is the this is top of Ohio, bottom of Ohio. This is, this has been, yeah. been brewing for a long time, but now well, what, I, what I try to avoid saying, because we didn't win the game, but, you know, Joe Burrow did accomplish more this season than like the Browns franchise has ever accomplished, you know, by winning an AFC championship game. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, the Brown family has won three AFC championships and none of them were for the team that's named after them. So yeah, you guys live with that. Okay. You guys <laughs> All right. Live. Next topic. <laughs> Are the Reds worth watching? No. All right. We'll see you guys. No. Later. Next question. There is no next question. It's just, are the Reds worth watching? I mean, Matt, this is insane. Three and 20 when we're recording Three this right now. and 20. I hope the they Bengals win. have so more it's... wins in 2022 yeah. than the Reds do. I hope they win today, Matt, for the simple fact that they'll be 420. And, and I mean, I may the fourth be celebrate. with them today. <laughs> They only have three wins. May the fourth. Twenty. May the fourth. I mean, they're going to win today. No, they, they, you got all these. They hmm. are heavily unfavored today. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're they're playing a very good team. So I, 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 it's it's it is what it is. I wanted to pull up something that we had on our Twitter, um, because it was the most interesting thing that we've had happen to us. Here, I'm going to no, pull it up. Fun. Yeah, I think this is, and it's related to the Reds. So let me just see if this works. Let me, no, this this is not working. That is my buddy, Joe Hennessy. So that doesn't work. But Irvin Santana followed the show, Matt. I don't know. Did you see that? Yeah, you, I, I, you saw know, you. Irvin I saw Santana. you post about that. Yeah, Irvin Santana, former all-star pitcher, randomly. Now, he, he follows a lot of accounts, but randomly followed the 3 a.m. Coney. I don't know why. What do you mean no randomly? Idea. Best randomly. account on Twitter. I mean, yeah, I, I'm proud of the account, but randomly, Ur, is Urban Santana interested in like mostly Bengals talk? Is, is Urban Santana interested in Reds fatalism that we participate they in? They are interested does, in does, our amazing Reds picks. Does Urban Santana, I mean, dude, you and I, since we started this podcast, have been the world is on fire with this Reds team. I think I had one <laughs> podcast where I said that they're, they have a World Series window. And since that point, it's just been like, not good enough, not good enough, not good enough, not good enough, not good enough. And my question for you, does this finally change the propaganda machine that's kind of existed around the Cincinnati Reds in terms of the people that cover the Cincinnati Reds? Because I feel like it's been all sunshine and rainbows in every article you read. And there hasn't been a lot of criticism brought down on the front office ownership until like Trent Rosecrans piece after Phil Castellini's comments. Do you think the tide's going to turn? What record will it need to take for yeah. it to be hypercritical the way it was with the Bengals just three years ago? 
I mean, uh, absolutely. And Phil's dumbass didn't help. But to to have this team be this bad and not even entertaining, it's like when when the Reds had all their throwback. What was it? Twenty nineteen. Someone is cutting my lawn. When when they had all the throwback and it was like it was like Puig and and Derek Dietrich and like they were entertaining even though they were still losing games and this team just looks like the the soul has been sucked out of them yeah and the only reason that fans want to go to games is to put brown paper bags on their heads so yeah I'd say every every positive type article where it's like like oh like phil made his comments but he apologized type of all of the responses to it are how much did bob pay you for this yeah like exactly and it's easy for media especially in sports to get really friendly with the team and i think that the media of the reds was a huge part of the last sale of the team to the castellinis so they kind of hitched their wagon to this horse and the organization did change in a lot of ways when they immediately bought the team and there was a, an era of competitive playoff baseball, but since Dusty Baker's been fired, it has been a top to bottom shitstorm, absolute yeah. shitstorm. Horrific decisions, horrific management, horrific trades, just up and down. And, and Dusty then, just hit two thousand, and it's like, but I'm, wins. but I'm told that every decision is smart. I have not read real critiques on Red's decisions until like this off season. And even then it was dipping the toe in the water and everybody was talking about their 83 win projection. So like how on earth does a team have two, three and 18 starts in a three year stretch, four year stretch. Yeah. So two out of the last four years, you win six of your first 21 games. So how does, how do for that two out of four years, Also, over the last six years, you have the worst five-year stretch in Reds history, the worst pitching rotation and bullpen in Reds history, the worst playoff hitting drought in Reds history. How does all of that happen, yet every decision they've made for the last five years has been right? How? How? You you need to have a little faith there, Lucas. No, but that's the thing is that uh, an adversarial questioning media is good for a team. Just ask the Bengals. The Bengals have been catching heat from the fans in the media since Mike Brown started controlling the team in 1991. They have been catching constant heat. They caught heat for the stadium, right? Yep. Reds didn't catch any heat for the Great American Ballpark, right? Now, I know the situations were different in the tax dollars and all that, and I don't want to get back into politics from the late 90s. but. Bengals caught a lot of heat from that. Bengals caught a lot of heat in the Carson Palmer saga. Bengals caught a lot of heat at every single turn over the last 15 years. While making triple the playoff appearances that the Reds have made in the same amount of time, while winning more playoff, I think they've they've won just as many playoff games that the Reds have won. Now with three playoff wins, that passes the two the Reds have had under Casalini since 2010. So they've they've done all these things and improved through the criticism. The criticism is what drove them to firing Marvin Lewis, is what drove them to going new, young, and fresh in Zach Taylor, is what drove them to spend money on free agents. It was the criticism. It was the fans leaving because of the criticism. 
And yeah. it is it is up to the Reds writers, podcasters, and and all the Twitter guys who it's so easy to be positive in the sport of baseball. It's time to stop. It was time to stop, frankly, three years ago, but it's definitely time to stop now. And it needs to be you every decision they make, you should assume it was bad, first and foremost, because that's what we did to the Bengals for years. And, and it's what made them a better organization. So I think that it's the responsibility of everybody. And that's why this season's worth watching to see how bad it gets and to be consistently critical the entire time. And that's the only way it improves. And I'm not interested in having good memories about the seventies. You got you guys that live through it. If you want to go ahead and do that and just have great memories about the seventies, and that's how you're going to love your reds forever. And you don't really care if they lose 130 games, you be my guest, but none of us that are below the age of 35 are interested in doing that. We're interested yeah. Very much in baseball games. We're interested in having a relevant organization. We're interested in having Hall of Fame players. We're interested in extending guys. We're interested in competing. And we're not interested in talking about the 70s and remembering Pete Rose anymore. I'm sorry. The stories are great, but that, that era is done. And I feel like that. That's history channel shit. Hopefully, where's my, where's my sports team now? <laughs> hopefully, the three and 20 star is what pushes them. And, and the fan base finally over the edge. And finally, the, the organization will lose the credit it gained from the 70s and the World Series run in 1990. Because well, it, that credit's long overdue. 3-20, and 20, is David Bell going to be thrown under the bus? He can't because Phil Castellini. Phil Castellini running his mouth is what is inhibiting the Reds from doing anything. Because the losing streak is directly connected to him. Yeah. <laughs> right. So you can't go firing one in, one David in 18 Bell. since his comments. You can't go firing David Bell. The guy that should have stepped down already is Phil Castellini. And if he were not the son of Bob Castellini, he would have stepped down already. Any other COO in the league that isn't a family member of the goddamn owner would have been fired for those comments, especially after the attendance uh, reaction and reverberation yeah. and a one in 18 start that everybody is connecting your name to. So just like everything else in his life, Phil Castellini gets away with it because his daddy has taken care of him. Congratulations, Phil. Your dad gets to save your butt again, which I'm sure he did numerous times throughout your teens and 20s. Throughout I, your I, stupid, shitty life. I, like, I mean, I, I'm not going to say Phil Castellini has a shitty life. I think that's unfair to Phil. I'm sure he has a baller life, right? But that doesn't mean you should be running a professional baseball team. And you definitely shouldn't be running your mouth, which you've been constantly doing for the last five years and done nothing for it. And like, this is the point that my buddy Max made to me, Matt. Phil Castellini said that they can't compete. If you have an owner that's not even wanting to pretend that they can maybe win, yeah, they got to go. They have to go because the sport's about winning. They don't, okay. Do you think that Everton and their management group in the Premier League, they're never winning the damn Premier League. Do you think they go out to their fans and say, we are never going to be able to compete? No, they say, well, you know, there's some structures that inhibit us, but we're going to try to get a roster with a lot of great young players and maybe one day we'll win the damn Premier League. Yeah, but they don't do this tone deaf. You don't think we're frustrated too? Well, they do nothing. Yeah, what, what are you going to do? Not like Everton? <laughs> and that's why we need relegation. Like this Reds team should have been relegated four years ago. It should be down in double A right now. I'm, I'm good with that across all major sports. I we need they, that. 
baseball is the only place that has a chance of working because you have a very large filtration system yeah. of these organizations. And then you would have to reorganize it to where teams that have the best attendance. So like the Dayton Dragons who put 15,000 in their ballpark, I would move them to the level just below um, Major League Baseball as a team that can be promoted because they actually have a decent stadium and a decent fan base. So yeah, um, that would make baseball actually a little more interesting, I think. Um, <laughs> I just would also like to see the look on Castellini's face having a team relegated. <laughs> um, but where are you going to go? Well, you're going to go down here. <laughs> where are you going to go? To the second league. <laughs> <laughs> but are the Reds worth watching? I think that there's such a dumpster fire, Matt, that I'm actually more intrigued than I have been uh, I mean, I was intrigued last year. Last year was a great team. They were playoff. This is kind of like a like a train wreck where you're you're you're. I can't, can't take can't my eyes away. Off well, I can't take my eyes off the box score and then the subsequent highlights, and yeah. then all the fantastic subsequent tweets about how involved Phil Castellini was in the entire debacle. Um, which they're what one in eighteen since the comments. Since the comments, yep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One in eighteen. That's uh. That's, that's not, pretty good. That's not, pretty good. That's not good, Bob. Not great there, Bob. Not great, Bob. Well, you know, and Bob Castellini, do you know, only 15% is actually what he owns of the Reds. Okay. But it's the controlling share. So anyway, I've got a buddy who has some serious financial connects in the city of Cincy, and there is a lot of talk among the wealthy of Cincinnati about how the hell they can buy this team. A lot. There There's you go. a lot going around. A lot of people having conversations about how they can buy this team. So if you know a rich guy in the Cincinnati area, tell them like, yo, go start knocking on some doors. Let's get a big investment group going and let's get this team back. Um, because that's where, that's where it needs to go. Unless Elon Musk likes baseball all of a sudden. I mean, might as well. It, it's pocket change for him. I, right? $45 billion for Twitter. It's only $2 billion to buy the Reds. Like, <laughs> Elon, you don't even just have to add, do anything. add it on here. <laughs> Dude, just hire somebody else, and they'll run it, and you have it. That's it. Yeah. $2 billion cash, he could move that easy. He probably has that, like, lying around the house. Yeah, just Venmo it. Yeah, I'm going to send you a spaceship with the cash <laughs> on it. <laughs> Open it up, just full of cash. <laughs> <laughs> and then it goes back, and it lands perfectly. <laughs> SpaceX. Wow. And it was silent. Didn't oh. hear it. Those Teslas freak me out, man. I'm going to get run over by one backing up. Can't My dad has a Tesla. He loves it. He, he does the, the auto drive. It's got the big screen right there. And it like pops up and shows you when there's like, you know, people or cars or things that doesn't want to hit. And it'll just like, beep, beep, beep. And it'll kind of move. And it'll just stay between the lines. Wow. You know, they did a study of that like three years ago that every 10 miles one of those automatic cars will make a mistake that needs to be corrected by a human. Might not be a fatal mistake, but it'll go slightly left or slightly right. So just remember when you're auto driving that <laughs> don't leave. Well, the auto drive, it's like day. once a, once a minute, it makes you touch the steering wheel or like un auto drive and then get back into it. Um, my dad was pissed about that. He's like, Oh, I want to like take a nap. I'm like, do not <laughs> put not on auto drive nap. and take a nap. No, because it's we it's are not, not that there good yet. yet. We're, we're probably yet. we're uh, they might get there, but they're not going to tell you that they're there. I, I guarantee it'll always be a you got to touch the steering wheel. I I just don't ever see us going full. You'd have to put those things on tracks if you want to go yeah. full. I mean, I think at a, at a certain point they'll have to have their own lane. Yeah, where other cars cannot get into or 
it just and it's an auto recognizes like if they can talk to the other cars and they can all go faster and stay the same exact same distance apart like on the highway um then other cars just are not allowed in that lane yeah they'll probably do that with semis first just to make uh the supply chain better because if you have completely automated semis running in their own lane, you can push those things at 120 miles per hour. They'll never run into each other. So yep. now imagine your FedEx package took two days. Now it's going to take, you know, I mean, if hours. you have, if you have all automated cars that can talk to each other, there's no more traffic because the issue with traffic is there's a car accident and then it's a hold up. So all these cars back here have to slow down and then speed back up. If all of these cars were to slowly get to the same speed at the same time, that that yeah. jam is gone. Yeah, because most aren't most traffic jams like traffic waves. They're not even accidents. There's some one person hitting their yep. brake causes a little bit of a four car, and then it goes yep. back. And, and then that can last for an hour. Ten miles later, that can last for an hour. Up. It's crazy. Yeah, it's it's it, and that's why they they expand highways. It doesn't necessarily make traffic easier and why are we getting into the nuances <laughs> and science i don't know blame elon musk <laughs> blame elon musk i mean uh fun day i'm glad uh we're using Streamyard. we uh, might commit to this long term because i really well. like i really like going live on twitter if we commit to it long term we'll be able to go live on twitter facebook and youtube at the same yeah. time which will be uh which will be a ton of fun and uh yeah, man, it's going to be prediction season soon. I The one thing I wanted to ask you, uh, this is Jess's opinion, that Joe Burrow has not spoke enough. In fact, he hasn't spoken at all since his post-game press conference, um, yeah. other than his who day at the UFC fight. Um, the, si the silence from Joe Burrow, good thing, bad thing, or are you just you kind of just neutral on it? I think right now, so you're trying to say the football season's already started, but this is still the lull beforehand. And I think he's focused. I think he is going over every single play of the Super Bowl in his mind, especially that final drive. And he doesn't need to talk to anybody yet. He he doesn't he doesn't need to make an appearance yet. This is still the lull before the next season. As we get closer into the fall and into the next season, I don't think he's going to shy away. So I'm I'm fine with it. I think it's smart. Yeah, well, I think it's smart because nobody wants to hear you talk after you lose. What did, what was he going to say? Yeah. What was he going to say in any interview he goes into? The silence, it also in, increases the doubt. Because if you look at guys like Tua or Kyler or a lot of these other young quarterbacks or Herbert, their agents and their agencies leak little stories that allow them, their quarterback to get to the top of the news cycle. Even if it's a positive story, it just allows that quarterback to get to the top of the news cycle, right? Russell Wilson will release a workout video, gets them to the top of the news cycle. They care about being a relevant topic in the NFL. Joe does not. Joe clearly evidently does not. He does not yeah. care about making endorsement money because he could have been. He could have been in that commercial probably with Matthew Stafford, the, the progressive commercials or the AT&T commercials that he's in. He could have been there. I, I guarantee you he has had plenty of, I guarantee this, he has plenty of offers to do commercials on the table. Yeah. Will he actually do one is the question. I don't know. He, that did, the, he did a Buffalo Wild Wings one or something, and then he did something That else. was back, what, before the draft, though? I think yeah. he, did a, he did a couple right around the draft, which everybody does draft stuff. 
<laughs> your agent's going to kill you if you don't do a commercial don't do anything. right around the <laughs> yeah. draft. He's like, come on, man. This might be your most marketable moment of your life. Um, so I'm sure that Joe Burrow's team wants him to do some commercials, but I think Joe is is probably going to hold off on doing them until he has a Super Bowl, um, which might end up costing him a boatload, a boatload of money. Yeah. Um, but but I like that he's not really worried about it. So he's not worried about staying in on top of the news cycle. He's not worried about staying out there in terms of in the fan site. He's just going to let his play do the talk, and that's probably going to end up being better for him long term. We saw how much money Tom Brady made, and he wasn't really in commercials until about mid career there in New England. So yeah, I'm good yeah. with it. I'm I'm good with it too. I'm not I'm not too worried about it. I would like to hear him speak this week though with everybody being back in the building. Um, but we'll see. We'll see if, if Bengals PR keeps them away from the, from our journalists, uh, they must not be asking very hard. Cause I guarantee every day, Mike. Uh, uh, so, so why is Mike Hilton and Logan Wilson? We love these guys, but uh, can we talk to Joe Burrow? I mean, I mean, it, it is funny. Our last topic is, are the Reds worth watching? And we're talking about what's Joe Burrow doing and why isn't he on my TV? <laughs> well, the 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 most attended Reds game of the year will be the one that Joe Burrow was in attendance for. Hmm? That's almost a guarantee now, unless the 4th of July game goes crazy or something. So like... Or unless someone poops in the truck. Yeah, or like novelty is the only way. But like the, the most attended Reds game of the year will be the game that Joe Burrow was at, which means that for an entire calendar year, the most attended sporting events in the city of Cincinnati will all be Joe Burrow events. It'll be all the Bengals games. Then it'll be the rally at the, then it'll be the home opener for the Reds that Joe Burrow threw out the first pitch. And then it's the rally for the Super Bowl. And then you start to go to FC Cincinnati games, right? And then the rest of the Reds schedule. That is your attendance at Cincinnati sporting events. Which I think the FC Cincinnati is about to have more wins than the Reds, too. Yeah, so perfect. I mean, it just the whole thing is blowing up around the Cincinnati Reds. and But, like, fifth, like that's going to be 15 to 17 sporting events in a calendar year that it's all Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow. And you lose a lot of marketing ground to a franchise quarterback if you're a baseball team, and especially if you're a bad baseball team with an ownership group that nobody likes. It's an absolute nightmare situation for the Reds. And I don't know if it's a dream situation for the Bengals. I don't think they care much, but I know, I know Mike Brown is looking smugly over that stadium and go, that's for talking all that shit. You bad. <laughs> that's for all that looking you down your nose bitch. at me. Cause the Castellinis had never accomplished anything in the sport, in the realm of athletics. The only thing they'd ever done in their life was be good fruit distributors. And they literally talked down to Mike Brown, who considers himself a part of the most influential football family in the sport, literally been talking down to the man for 20 years and, and calling him stupid behind his back to, to media members and, and making fun of the organization actively and in public. And now he gets the last laugh at the end. My, of the my, how the turntables. Uh, they have turned. The tables have turned. They have turned. I well, mean, hello there. Well, did you see? We ran a poll. Mike Brown. Mike Brown won the poll for like least. Um, he, he wasn't hated at all anymore, and it was like 150 yeah. votes. Got like 12 for most hated. 
what a, what a turn for the man. What a turn. We love to see it. Love <laughs> we to love see to it. see it. I mean, he's a good man, decently. You know, he's just poor for an owner. So, I mean, you know, I'm not too mad about it. All right, Matt, you got anything else before we get out of here? No, that's it. Let me know. Let me know how this this worked out live. Are we going to cross post this to YouTube or anywhere? anywhere? Yeah, if this records the way it should have, which I believe right, it will. Perfect. So, well, this perfect. is a, this is a, a test plus live. Fuck it, we're doing it live. <laughs> we love it. We love it. And we love it. <laughs> Until All next right. time, we'll see you guys.